This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel and for John Dankosky. Today we're talking about a new play that premieres later this month in New Haven. It's called Voices from the Long War. The actors are six veterans and refugees who share their very personal stories about the impact of war. The idea behind this play comes from Tom Barry, community producer of Voices from the Long War. He's a veteran of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars who served seven years as an infantry officer with the U.S. Army. He's a current member of the Connecticut National Guard and a graduate student at Yale's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs. He joins us in studio. Tom, thanks for coming on to Where We Live. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So tell us first, um, obviously, you're an Army veteran, and you're in grad school at the uh, ja- Glo- what is it? The Jackson? The Jackson Institute for Global Affairs. That's right. And how did you get involved in a play? I will say when I came, I left the active duty service and I came to uh, Yale, I didn't think I'd be doing a project uh, like this. But um, as I left the military and I came to Yale and I saw so many people who were engaged with issues like what do we do in the current um, circumstances in Iraq and Afghanistan? I realized even in these classes with the next leaders of our country, these Yale undergraduates, these eminent professors of history, in some cases even current practitioners in our government, a lot of people didn't have access to the experiences and the immediate legacies of the wars around them. And I had made friends in the veteran community around New Haven and Yale, and I'd also connected with some of the refugees. And I realized there was a real chance to put these Uh, experiences on display, not just narrated by the veteran, but with a little broader aperture, also bringing in the perspective of those who were born and experienced this conflict in a wholly different way. So I really wanted to do that, and I kind of met the people along the way to make it possible. So uh, tell us about the veterans community um, on the Yale campus. I understand it's been growing, and that's because ROTC is now back on campus. Can you give us a little bit about the history of the veterans community at Yale? Yeah, for a long time, and there's, there's professors there who remember uh, in the, I think, late 60s, early 70s when ROTC was removed from campus through a lot of protesting, and it just came back a few years ago, and there's a naval ROTC presence for the first time uh, with Marine officers, and I, I met a few of them, and I was really inspired that just as I was a young person at West Point about to head off to wars that I had no idea what I was facing, um, they need to be exposed to kind of the full range of experiences they're going to have over there. And uh, as these detachments come back in strength and there's more and more veterans, we have about, I would say, 100 um, graduate student veterans across all the disciplines. There's a real opportunity to mentor these young people and provide them experiences like we are doing with this play that will really uh, um, broaden their experience set before they head out to whatever job they're going to do. So um, you graduated from West Point, so that means you're an officer, a captain in the U.S. Army. Um, Tell us about when you uh, found out you were going to be deployed and and how you prepared yourself. Well, I uh, graduated in 2006. The Iraq War was uh, well underway, and I selected infantry, so my goal and my desire was to deploy. And I was fortunate that I I was a platoon leader, and I was extremely excited about the opportunity. And I'd say I'd I focused a lot on the basics of my profession. How do we close with and destroy the enemy by means of fire maneuver is the, uh, the line. But when I got there, I realized when I made a connection with my Iraqi army commander, Captain Manhall, the human element of the conflict, both how do I provide security for these people? How do I understand how they think about security? Because they're afraid not just of me and my men, 
They're afraid of their neighbors in many cases because of the feuds that have played out in previous history. And I can't just come in there and expect them to treat Iraqi police like I would treat the New Haven police, like with trust and faith in the institution. And it was only after, I would say, six months of living on an Iraqi compound and working with Captain Manhall that I I really understood these issues um, in a way. And I would just want to help uh, my future servicemen and leaders, even the soldiers, uh, kind of continue down that process. Uh, in recent years, I mean, we saw a shift in um, society here in America and how uh, we view veterans, um, lessons learned from um, how Vietnam-era veterans were really vilified when they came back because it was a very unpopular war. Um, so, you know, there's been a shift, and some would say that's a good thing, that we, um, the country, has a respect for um, the service that veterans have provided um, our country. But, you know, when we talked earlier, um, when I met you, it really just scratches the surface when people look at you and say, well, thank you for your service. But do they really understand, you know, what led you to enlist, what your experiences were, and then, you know, what the, you know, the greater consequences of all of this has been? I would say no, but it's not anyone's fault because it's hard to know in any case why I did what I did um, or any other veteran. And there has been a bit of a backlash where veterans feel like, I don't feel like thank you to your service like really means anything to me. And it's a big reason why we're motivated to do this production is there's certain words that come to mind when you hear a veteran, the word hero. And we're showing experiences that people don't feel very heroic about. And it, it, I think it will humanize and complicate the way people immediately apply a label. And similarly, um, our refugees who are working in the uh, production, they served alongside U.S. forces. And the label that attaches to them most often is uh, terrorist or threat. And that's something that we want to really pull apart and have people examine. And for both, victim is a big one. Um, a lot of people go through struggles over there, whether you're a refugee or a veteran. But oftentimes the best way to work through those, in my opinion, and the opinion of the people who've been uh, working with us in this project is do something, take action. And this play is literally veterans and refugees coming together to take action, both on their own story and to share their perspective wider with their audience. Tell us about the cast. So we have three veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan wars, and then we have three refugees. Tell us about them. Yeah. So on the veteran side, we have uh, an officer, another West Point officer, my classmate at the Jackson Institute, Liz Verardo, who was an Apache uh, attack helicopter pilot which is really prior to the recent lift in women's participation in combat, the closest in many ways you can get to combat. Um, and as, infantry, as an infantryman, I called on them many times to support us. And she brings a really interesting perspective uh, from that. Then we have Andrew Sawyer, who was a Navy vet who had grown up in Connecticut and was really into punk rock and never thought he would join the, the military, but ended up joining the Navy, never thought he would go to the war, ended up being assigned to Bagram Prison to an interrogation detail and had some tough experiences there. And he uh, also worked as a caseworker at the Refugee Resettlement Agency in New Haven. And so he got to experience immediately after leaving the Navy the refugee uh, plight. Um, we also have uh, Tom Burke, who is a Marine uh, in, a, in both Iraq and Afghanistan, a leader on the ground. And uh, though I was also in the infantry, I've learned so much from him because to be a guy in the trenches with your nine soldiers is just such a different experience. And then on our, our refugees, we have Asadullah from Afghanistan, who worked as an interpreter with the U.S. Army, and also um, worked uh, with the Drug Enforcement uh, Administration to help uh, with the uh, narcotics problem in Afghanistan. And we have uh, uh, Ali, uh, who is from uh, 
Baghdad, Iraq, who was an interpreter at the very beginning of the war, and he saw that take off. And then finally, we have Maher, who was a little younger and kind of grew up as a uh, as a child uh, during the beginning phase of the war, and endured some harsh stuff as a teenager, and then worked on a U.S. warehouse at the very end, and managed to escape very recently uh, in the last eighteen months with his family. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathangel in for John Dankosky. Today we're focusing on a unique play. It's premiering at the Yale Cabaret later this month. It's called Voices from the Long War. Community producer Tom Barry is in studio with us. Do you have questions for Tom about uh, what service was like and where this idea came from to highlight uh, the similarities that veterans and refugees go through when they transition or come to a new home here in America? You can call us at 860-275-7266. Tweet at where we live, and you can also go to our website, wmpr.org, for uh, more uh, information. You know, refugee resettlement has become highly politicized uh, just in the last several months um, after the Paris attacks. Um, when you reached out to these three refugees who were in the play, um, you know, it's it's hard for anyone to talk about their personal experiences in front of strangers. Um, but these refugees are not only um, having to adapt to a new environment, um, they've fled uh, trauma um, in their country. Um, how do you get them to, you know, how do you convince them to go on stage and talk about it in a real way? What I've been amazed is the depth of the material I have from my service in Iraq and Afghanistan to build rapport with refugee communities. So though I was only there for a year, and I only saw what I saw in each of their communities. It was I was able to sit down and share tea with their families, have a, a meal perhaps, and over time they realized, okay, I'm in America, I'm building my new home. I can be an active part of it through this production. And what I'm most amazed with is that the time that they're volunteering to come to these rehearsals and work on their lines and show up very prepared. They're doing this many times while juggling two jobs, working the night shift. Um, in the case of one of our... Uh, actors, he just got promoted and is juggling a new promotion while making time to come in the evenings uh, over at the Yale School of Drama to, to work on this project. So it's, if anything, um, it took a while to build the rapport, but I'm so humbled now that they've made that commitment and what they're doing. And they're teaching all of us a lot in terms of how you can prioritize your life. You can work hard for your family, your job, and also be an engaged citizen in your community. And it's great to see that. In the case of Asadullah, he's been here a little over five months, and he's already doing this type of stuff. Before we go to a break, I wanted to, you know, go back to their backgrounds and the fact that um, all three of these men had worked for the U.S. military in Iraq um, and, and Afghanistan, and they're able to come here through a special program, the special immigrant visa program. Um, but that's not something that a lot of Americans know about, that these were people that, um, you know, service members relied on to do their jobs. I mean, that's why they unfortunately have to leave their country. Can you talk about that? Yeah, all three, um, and this comes out in the stories, faced enormous risks and were threatened for their involvement with the United States military. And the special immigrant visa was devised, I believe, in 2007 to help our allies who worked with us on the ground. You know, there are several cases when I was an infantry platoon leader where my interpreter really saved the lives of my, my soldiers, and we wanted to bring them over. But in the case of um, one of our Ali, he his service with the U.S. Army ended a month before the SIV program began, so he couldn't even apply f through that program. He had to go through a U.N. program, and his wife and child are left in Baghdad right now. Um, Asadullah, who did fortunately get an SIV visa, he had to wait six years, and it was only when he narrowly avoided assassination that the paperwork was finally approved. So I think it's great that the U.S. government is reaching out. There have been a lot of problems, and I hope that 
as people see this story, um, we're motivated to find ways to bring these people over as opposed to pursue some sort of blanket ban on Muslims, I think would just be very uh, uh, a negative development for our future foreign policy, for our future troop deployments. No one would want to work with us in that, in that case. We're talking with Tom Barry. He's community producer for Voices from the Long War, being staged later this month at the Yale Cabaret. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Are you a veteran or refugee? What are the misperceptions that affected your transition back home or to your new home in America? When we come back, we'll hear from two of the cast members, a former U.S. Marine and an Afghan refugee. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel in for John Dankosky. Today we're talking about Voices from the Long War. It premieres Thursday, April 28th at 8 p.m. at the Yale Cabaret in New Haven. Information is on our website, WMPR.org. We've been talking with Tom Barry, community producer of the play and graduate student at Yale's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs. And joining us now in studio are two of the cast members. Tom Burke is a former U.S. Marine and student at Yale Divinity School. And Asadula, he and his family are refugees who just arrived in the U.S. late last year. He served as an interpreter for the U.S. Army. Asadula wants to use his first name only because he has family still in Afghanistan and he worries about their safety. So Tom and Asadula, welcome to where we live. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. So Tom, I'll start with you. You're the uh, Connecticut native. You were raised in Bethel. Tell us why you enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, so I definitely always wanted to be a Marine. Uh, it was really something about uh, the group of warriors fighting against evil. You know, in the 90s, we had those commercials with the Marines fighting the dragon, and that just really hooked me early on. Um, so it, it, I always really wanted to um, represent and fight for my country, and I'm really happy I got the opportunity to do so. So you told me in an earlier conversation you were deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. So tell us what that was like. Um, so those were two uh, vastly different uh, locations, and I think that I'm very fortunate uh, when it comes to that. People don't understand why I say that that's fortunate. But, you know, a lot of people look at these, the global war on terror, as the same. Uh, these are same campaigns, and, and I think that it's uh, a little disrespectful of, of Iraqis and Afghans, and we should really uh, be able to honor and appreciate their culture. Asadullah, I want to turn to you. Uh, tell me about life in Afghanistan before the war began. What were you doing? Uh, yeah, I was uh, before. I mean, if I talk about before two thousand five, it was uh, it was hard time. It was uh, I, I had a shop, and before two thousand one, it was the Taliban regime that was the hardest time in Afghanistan. And uh, after the U.S. came to Afghanistan, everything was changing, like uh, every day. I mean, business was very uh, going to a better way, and also the lifestyle of people and people were kind of uh, feeling free, kind of because of the hard years we've had with the Taliban and Al Qaeda. But unfortunately, nowadays the situation is getting worse again. So when um, the U.S. Uh, military came to your country, you had hope that things would change. Oh, absolutely! N not only me. I mean all people of Afghanistan, because we have had very hard years with Al-Qaeda and Taliban. And uh, I still remember the first night while the U.S. fighters, they came on Helmand province and they started bombing the areas where the Taliban had their strongholds. 
people were enjoying. I mean, even myself, I was uh, on the top of the roof and I was enjoying. I was saying, yeah, come on, just do some more. <laughs> yeah. And so at some point, um, your life changed, right? So you have this war in your homeland and you needed to provide for yourself and your family. So tell us about the decision to work for the U.S. military because obviously that decision had risks to you. Absolutely. On that time, uh, of course, it was risk, uh, but uh, honestly, we never thought about the risks because we've, we've had enough hard time with the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in our land. So we wanted to, I mean, I was really interested to go with the army and ju- at least work as an interpreter so I can be somehow fighting against the terrorist groups in my country. But uh, we were never thinking that the situation will get worse some someday again and there will be risk for, for me. And that's why you fled to the U.S.? Yes. And eventually I've uh, applied for the U.S. government. I mean, the, the U.S. government offered co- uh, protection visa for the Afghan people. They have worked with the U.S. government as an interpreter. And I've applied for that. And uh, I also suffered kind of like a a direct threat to my life. So that eventually, eventually the embassy, they approved me for, for the visa. So tell us what life has been like in Connecticut. It's, it's good. It's, I mean, it's always uh, not easy at the beginning because uh, I was in Afghanistan. I moved here. It's a totally different country, totally different culture, different language. I have no problem with the language. but That's good. My family, we, we feel safe here. No risk, no threat. Again, with the, I'm not worried about, to like, you know, in Afghanistan, every day there are suicide bombers, explosions, uh, kidnapping and everything. So I'm feeling safe in here. At least my son's going to school, my, my family, my my wife, she's happy here, she enjoys. So far, so good, I can say. So far, so good. And I want to turn back to Tom. Uh, again, you served in the Marine Corps, both in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. Um, there's a point in the play um, where you talk about, on a micro level, you and your fellow troops understood what you, fellow Marines understood uh, what you were doing and what your job was. But on a macro level, there were questions. So can you talk about um, how you, um, I guess, adapted to that while you're um, over there and trying to do a job that you've been given? Um, I th- that's a very interesting question. And I think it's interesting that, um, you know, Tom, Barry, and I both were infantry. And like, as he was saying, we definitely had uh, different perspectives as the enlisted and and as the officer, um, so I think that uh, really, I didn't as an enlisted grunt. Really, we didn't really have to think about the macro. Um, we were working twenty four seven, no sleep, uh, really improving the life of the community around us. And uh, it, the Afghans loved us in in our home. They called us our Marines. Um, but it, it was it was definitely. Uh, not really I, – I, until I got back to school and w- would, could actually uh, reflect on what was going on on the macro level, I, I had no idea. Uh, I just knew that the people liked us and we were really doing good work for them. Uh, so, yeah. uh, but your service did affect you um, from what you saw um, during your deployments. Um, this play talks a lot about this idea of home. Uh, transitioning back, whether you were an American who enlisted and was in the service for several years and then came home to something new, mm-hmm. um, and also to the refugee who comes to a new land, uh, it's completely different 
You know, they leave everything behind. Yes. Um, so tell us how your transition was. Um, so my transition, uh, you know, even when we were in Afghanistan uh, with my platoon, that was one of the the most at home I ever felt with my platoon and my platoon commander and my platoon sergeant. Um, so that transition to home was difficult in as much as a lot of veterans are isolated and they don't have that same community and support system they had within the military. Um, so my own transition was extremely difficult coming back to Connecticut, which has uh, one of the lowest post 9-11 veteran populations. Um, luckily, I was able to, to start, you know, uh, receiving benefits and then got into uh, university myself and was able to find that community that really cared for me and and could identify, you know, some sort of mental health problems if I was having them or and really just show me the love and concern that I needed to reintegrate into society. So I was definitely fortunate for that. We're talking about Voices from the Long War. It's a play being uh, staged later this month at the Yale Cabaret. It actually has a cast of three veterans from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars and three refugees from those countries. We actually have a call from Elaine from New Haven. Elaine, can you uh, tell us what your comment or question is? Yes. Um, I have read and worked extensively with um, uh, the military operation in Iraq. I'm not a veteran. But my question is, as a civilian, are there any safe organizations that American citizens can uh, support to help, um, you know, non-terrorist Iraqis and Afghani Afghani civilians? the, The reason I ask that is because I know that the just based on my reading that that um, you know it isn't it isn't a clear picture of when you give uh, support to different organizations as to what you're actually giving support to, and I just wondered if your um, uh, guest had any ideas, given that he's taking this uh, to another level that beyond what I what I've found. All right, Elaine. Uh, thank you for, for your call. Tom Barry, I'll, I'll ask you if you can um, help Elaine with that question. Sure. Thanks, Elaine, for your interest in this. I'll caveat my comment with there are probably many other deserving organizations than the one I'm going to mention. But uh, the uh, Matt Zeller, an Iraq uh, uh, veteran whose life was saved by his interpreter, started the No One Left Behind organization that helps people who are trying to get SIV visas, uh, get through the process, and when they come to the United States, get paired up with a sponsor and find uh, meaningful employment. So that's one way to help uh, specifically the refugee community uh, as they come to the United States. All right. So, Tom, I wanted to go back to you. Um, you know, I read that your transition, you know, was difficult. And so, you know, so often, again, this play is also trying to confront generalizations. You know, not all veterans that served come back with post-traumatic stress or TBI. Um, but can you talk about, you know, your struggles with that and how, um, you know, many veterans come back and they want to advocate for other veterans because you understand? Absolutely. Um, I think that we are definitely, as veterans, a self-selecting population of people who, who definitely chose to represent something bigger than themselves. And just because they hung up their uniform, they know that their service is not done. Um, and the best veterans are really realizing that the special gifts that they have or that, that, that they ha- have gained uh, will be able to help them advocate later in life. So personally, with my um, transition, uh, I, I had a very tough time with uh, 
post-traumatic stress disorder and being able to be open and vulnerable about those struggles really um, allowed people to uh, not only treat me um, uh, more kindly, but also veterans around me. Uh, I've realized that through my own, um, you know, transition to Yale that I, I have a, a voice that really has the opportunity to advocate uh, for veterans. I'm running for state representative here in Connecticut. Um, and I think that it's really, like I said, we, we veterans, uh, we, we have that, that civic, that, that duty to and that obligation to country. Um, and I think that we have a great opportunity here um, to continue to help our country, uh, you know, be the best it can be. Is that why you're involved in a play? Um, so I think play, uh, I think drama and the theater as a medium, um, actually, if we look, you know, it, through history and a lot of like the Greek tragedies, um, we see that uh, the theater is one of the best medias uh, to really be able to show emotion that you wouldn't be able to do sort of through a liter- literary project. Um, on stage, you know, we're able to look at a script um, that has, you know, it wants to get some sort of emotion across. And then as, as an actor, we, you know, we interpret what's on the page and then we try and articulate it to the audience and we try and spread this message. So it's, it's, it's not it's, – there's just so much human emotion uh, attached to that. And, and I think that um, – that, that this is, I think, Tom's um, decision to to get this project going is absolutely brilliant. Um, like I've said, this the script is so powerful, and it's going to be able to show people uh, the juxtaposition of the refugees and veterans in a way that I don't think there you could do with any other uh, medium. Yeah, I don't think most people would think about veterans and refugees um, in the same uh, conversation. But there are similarities. So can we talk about that as as what are you learning from each other um, when you have your rehearsals about um, your transition or just about life in general? Asadula. Well, uh, as I've already worked with the U.S. government, especially with the U.S. Army for years in Afghanistan, I was uh, with them during the operations, like anti-terrorist operation and everything. And uh, again, I'm here as soon as I heard about this project and I became kind of like really interested that I'm again going to meet some military people and such a great people like Tom and again, Mr. Tom. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I mean, it's a very good program. And uh, I mean, I can, I, I can generally say they are a good group of people that I'm working with on this project. And it's a good experience sharing also. Sometimes we, we see each other. And uh, overall, I can say, I can just say good. So. It's been good. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, you've only been here for a few short months, right, right. In, the, in the United States. Um, you obviously probably follow the news and have been following the debate that's happening not only in our country but um, in Europe about uh, refugees. Um, you know, what's your reaction to that? What do you want people to know about refugees, people who are forced to flee everything that they know um, to have an opportunity in life. Yes, unfortunately, uh, nowadays, it's really sad what I hear, like uh, many people, they are uh, immigrating kind of like illegally or crossing borders. That's a totally 
that's a very hard thing they do. I mean, I was lucky. At least I got this visa. I mean, I worked with the U.S. government and I got this protection visa. I come here. But something is also kind of like disappointing while we see all these politicians they're talking kind of anti-refugee. They don't like refugees. I mean, my message would be just generally, I mean, before you become anti-refugee or you are against refugees, just uh, you got to know something about refugees, that, that why we are here today. I was, I was a honest or loyal person with the U.S. government, and I was uh, with the U.S. Army, uh, there was something saying in Afghanistan always shoulder with shoulder, and that's what we were. Shona Bishona. Yeah, that was a military <laughs> term they were using. We worked on the operations. I mean, it doesn't mean like uh, all refugees or all Muslims are terrorists. No, I mean, terrorists, they, they are a spe- specific group. I mean, I'm not a terrorist. And actually, I was a, a supporter for the U.S. government in Afghanistan in a tough situation. So that's something disappointing. Sometimes we hear through media and we see the high-level officials or not official. I wouldn't say the politician, not official. <laughs> I'm sorry for this mistake. Oh, no problem. They are anti-refugees. I mean, this, of course, disappointing, but I can do nothing about that. <laughs> so how have you been embraced? And are you living in the New Haven area? Yeah, I do live in so tell me what kind of interactions you have with Americans that you meet. I mean, do they ask you questions? Um, do they have these misperceptions? Well, to be very honest, uh, no. I always, they've been great people. I've never had any n- negative, like, confrontation with anybody or I've never received any negative word or, like, a bad word from anybody. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm going always with the, with my wife and kids to supermarkets, shopping, I mean, sometimes like park and everything. I mean, they're great people. I've never seen anything bad. The only, the only thing which is disappointing me is through media what I hear, not the people in New Haven. They're lovely people. Mm-hmm. So have you been able to balance um, working and being with your family and doing this play? Well, uh, excuse me. Situation or lifestyle here is kind of like different than Afghanistan. It's a little harder here. You, once you get a job, you you become very busy. You have a job, then you have. If you are off, even you are off, you're not off. You you are busy with all those appointments every, everywhere. And uh, uh, this program is a unique thing. I mean, I love it. Even if I I'm trying to do my best to to attend on rehearsals, but sometimes. Work schedule is not allowing me to do, but I appreciate Mr. Tom. He's working hard on this, but he's always managing the situation somehow. I would like to say, though, uh, like I met so many hardworking Afghans when I was in Afghanistan, and Asadullah immediately, he misses a rehearsal. He's like, okay, I can make up the time this other time. And it, I, I've managed a lot of U.S. soldiers when I was in, uh, I led them in, uh, in the Army, and I've worked with a lot of people in other settings. But Asadullah is one of those ones that I know when, it come, when the curtain comes up on the night of the performance, he's going to have his stuff owned. And his story is going to be so powerful because he lived it. 
We're talking about Voices from the Long War. It's a cast made up of Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans and refugees from these countries. When we come back, we'll hear from the founder of this national nonprofit that helped write the play. And we'll take your calls. Is what you're hearing challenging your perceptions of veterans or refugees? 860-275-7266. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel, in for John Dankosky. John's back Monday. He'll sit down with innovation expert and former Clinton advisor Alec Ross, whose new book is called The Industries of the Future. This hour, we've been talking about Voices from the Long War. It's a unique play that premieres at the Yale Cabaret April 28th at 8 p.m. It features personal stories of veterans and refugees now living in New Haven and how each of them was affected by the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. A national nonprofit based in Austin helped bring their stories to the stage. The Telling Project has been helping veterans tell their stories since 2008. On the phone with us is Jonathan Way. He's the founder and executive director of The Telling Project, and he wrote Voices from the Long War. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're based in Austin, so um, a little bit earlier than uh, us um, here um, in Connecticut. But thank you for joining us. And and tell us, I read that um, the Telling Projects, this this production of Voices from the Long War, is actually the Telling Projects' 39th production. So where did you get this idea to to help veterans tell their stories in this way? Um, Well, you know, the short answer to that question is the idea came from my own ignorance. Um, but I think that the, the more probably informational question, is, uh, informational answer to the question is that um, in 2005, I started working with student veterans at the University of Oregon. Um, and uh, my wife was in graduate school there, and I, was, I had a job as a student advisor. And it took me relatively little time to understand that in spite of the fact that I prided myself on being a socially aware, engaged, and informed person, I knew almost nothing about who these folks were and what they had been doing. And we had been at war at that point for four years. Um, I was a writer. I was, uh, I've been an artist all of my life. I had never really worked with theater. But what became clear to me and one of the things that, that uh, these folks all these wonderful people who you have gathered in the studio today um, have, have touched upon um, was that what was missing was an in-person communication between the folks who were undertaking this endeavor most directly and their communities. Uh, we had a proliferation of information, um, unprecedented, essentially. You know, we live in what is often called the information age. Um, but information is is only part of only part of the equation. We actually need to connect and engage with these people and with the things that we have asked them to do. Um, and that's what we started doing. We started putting on these performances, and we call them plays. Um, we and I call what I do writing. But really, what the process is is facilitating these folks getting up and speaking from their hearts and their minds as honestly as they possibly can to their communities about what they've been through. And Voices from Long War is just a fantastic opportunity for us to take this work and extend it even deeper than what we've been doing before, um, including folks who have had entirely different experiences of the same experience, so to speak, 
Um, so that's where that's where we came from. Started in 2008, um, and this is where we have arrived for for uh, at, at the present. Um, and of course, we're working in many other places around the country right now um, with other casts. But this one is really exciting for me because it is the first time we've worked with both veterans and and refugees. Let's talk about the process um, before you wrote this play. Um, I understand that um, there were extensive interviews done with the veterans and the refugees. Um, also in this play is a female veteran, Liz Verardo, who flew helicopters on two different deployments to Afghanistan, continues to serve in the Army as she works on her master's degree at Yale. Um, I saw some of those interviews that you did. Let's listen to a clip from Liz's interview with The Telling Project. So I knew I was going to flight school. Um, I had chosen that because at the time things were still closed to women, um, like certain branches were still closed to women, and I felt like aviation was probably the the most level playing field for me to participate in. Um, I I don't know, like, oh, I had some women in my class that had gone military police, probably for similar reasons, but I just, that didn't appeal to me, I thought, you know, hey, I, I, when else am I going to learn how to fly a helicopter? <laughs> um, and I had also had a, a professor as well who was very influential and kind of a mentor to me. She had been a Black Hawk pilot. Um, and, yeah, it just seemed like a really, a really good community that I wanted to be a part of. So this is a woman who was a Black Hawk pilot. Like how often are people talking to female veterans? I think it's important to have her voice in this, in this play. I wanted to go to Tom Barry. Yeah, Liz actually, uh, she flew uh, Apaches, who for us, infantry grunts were our guardian angels who would swoop in and help us uh, in tough situations. But I would say it is rare Mm -hmm. to get that experience um, of someone who's really close and would speak on the radio literally to units who were suffering casualties. And she was there to console them, to feed them information and help them through that. And her perspective of operating in a male-dominated world as a leader is absolutely vital because it's... It's honestly, I'm much more the norm than what she has faced. And just as in society there are, there are gender issues, there's definitely gender issues in the military that come out in this, uh, this play. Also on the phone with us is the play's director, Kevin Horrigan, directing student at the Yale School of Drama. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So what I wanted to ask you um, is, you know, how do you direct this cast of veterans and refugees They're telling really compelling, very personal stories on stage. But how do you do it in a way that's going to connect to people who, you know, maybe don't have any experience in the military, don't know anyone that's uh, been in the military? They've never talked to a refugee. Um, How are you getting this on the stage where it will connect with people um, in the general community? Sure. Well, um, I think, I mean, it's it's been such an honor to work with this group of individuals and with the Telling Project who – um, as they have so generously and, you know, bravely told their stories. I mean, I think that related to what Jonathan said, one of the theater's best assets is the way it visualizes populations, it visualizes people. And the event of theater really is about a, a live confrontation between people in a discursive space. And uh, I think that, I mean, I think that this production makes some really hot political issues, human and empathic for our audience. Um, so I think that I, I think that there's going to be something that um, just is in, 
positively vibrant and alive in the, the bravery and generosity with which these individuals are bringing their stories to the stage. Uh, Jonathan Way, founder of The Telling Project. Again, this is your 39th production. Um, what have you seen in communities where you've staged these kinds of performances, even after the curtain closes? And what has been the impact? Um, broad, various, depending on the community, depending on the, the folks who are involved. But um, there are some universals. And I think that one of the things that happens in that room, and, and Kevin, I think that you, you're, you're touching on it as well, it's really interesting how I think that, you know, for veterans, they actually have a sense of reality about these conflicts that most of us as civilians don't. And I think that civilians, while we may not acknowledge it or recognize it in our day to day, do understand that, in fact, going to war is a vitally important part of a culture. If we do that, we are all involved in it, and it means something very profound for us. And we actually don't have much access to what that is. And I think that what happens in these performances is that people actually do have some access. And people end up feeling, for lack of a better way of putting it, closer to the ground. They feel closer to one another. They feel closer to themselves, and they feel closer to the ground. They feel closer to some sense of reality. And I think that, again, you know, one of the things that's interesting, especially about this performance, is that we have these notions of home and away that are constantly being poked at and played with because we have, you know, vets who go into theater. And, and uh, I think, Tom Burke, you probably, I mean, you've spoken to this. It is not uncommon. They feel more at home. They feel more comfortable when they're in country than when they are back here in the United States. And that reorientation is very disorienting for them. Similarly, Asadullah, you know, you, you're coming here, you know, you have no choice at some level. You have to make this home. And, and in fact, there are many things about this that are wonderful and, and energizing, and there's, a, and there's great opportunity. And so what we have are these, these strange notions that start to get mixed around and I think that one of the things that's really interesting about this is that, you know, that that sense of home and away, which kind of underlines the sense of distance from war and at the same time that we are engaged in war, is so central to the way that these folks are speaking to one another. And I think that what it allows the audience to do is to really, first of all, feel that distance and second of all, begin to examine it in a way that we honestly don't have much opportunity to do. We actually have, you know, our social conventions are largely built around us not thinking about those things, around accepting certain kinds of notions of who we are and how we, we operate within our communities. And those are both protective, but they are also somewhat constraining. And I think that what happens with this performance is that we're given permission to be more honest with ourselves about certain kinds of things. And that's one of the things that's universally been true for these performances one to another is that you actually have this group who, as Kevin says, are so courageous and they're so honest to get up there and share themselves in a really not, you know, then it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And they give permission to everybody else in that room to undertake that kind of honesty with themselves. And it's, it's, that's one of these things that never ceases to amaze me about these performances. 
Kevin, as director, um, have any of your perceptions been challenged? Um, that's a great question. I mean, the certainly. I mean, um, just the experience of working with these people has been an immersion into a, a room of a certain amount of shared experience, just in the fact that I'm working with, including Tom, I'm working with, you know, seven individuals who were either in deployment or, um, you know, were living overseas. I've never, I've never been to Iraq or Afghanistan. And so to a certain degree, certain degree there is an amount of shared experience in the room that, um, that I don't have access to. Um, so f- for me, I-, I am often raising my hand, off- often asking, asking them to like explain, explain certain aspects of, you know, the, the dimensions of this life, um, uh, abroad, uh, and it has it really has challenged um, my ideas about exactly as Jonathan said my, my ideas about war, which is whether we like it or not, that truly a deepest human and inevitable part of our experience as a society. Um, and it is that it is that confrontation of um, our personal values and our notions of citizenship that I think will extend to our whole audience. We just have a few minutes left. I wanted to go back to um, former Marine Tom Burke. You told me earlier that, you know, um, this production, um, the rehearsals have been bringing out emotions. You know, how has this impacted you personally? Um, yeah, no. So since day one, really, in this room, um, we're really it's a, it's become a very intimate group. Um Tom was talking about the rapport we were building, and I think that, you know, it was – I think Tom did a great job as producer of, of you know, from day one getting us in the room together. And, and Kevin, you know, really had a, a great icebreakers to really – because we do have those shared experiences. Um, but, no, it's been very emotional to listen to, you know, Liz's story um, who's, you know, has the – has had that macro perspective and, and could see, be the guardian angel to grunts like me and – uh, you know, yesterday I had my service dog, Rosie, uh, at rehearsal, and one of the other uh, Iraqi refugees, uh, Maher, um, my dog usually, you know, doesn't like males, and she went right up to Maher and, like, sat at his feet and just protected him. And I had this weirdest sort of catharsis and just lightness because I had never seen just, like, such a circle uh, that this this animal that makes me alive today is protecting someone from uh, where their home. I, it, it was just, it was so perfect to me and it was so beautiful. I want to go back to Tom Barry before the, the show ends, the community producer of the play Voices from the Long War premiering again later this month at Yale Cabaret. You know, this is only going to be on stage for two nights. Um, how do you feel about um, the impact that you're hoping, you know, um, it provides the New Haven community and then where do you take it from here? Well, I'll be honest. I'm looking for venues either in Connecticut or maybe the greater New York area where we can do this again to expose it to more people. And we're also bringing in a videographer to record the experience and hopefully be able to share it in, in that format. But really what this means I, to me and I hope to everyone who's been a part of this is whatever, I guess, benefit as a veteran and society gives me in life as a platform – Let's find ways to share it to help people recognize other contributions that have been made, like in this case, the, the refugee and the, the, the shared experience that we have there. It's 
motivated me. I came to school to study policy because I care about public service, but it's really motivated me to find new ways because I think with the wars and in the future, narratives really drive it and people need to be connected to authentic narratives surrounding these wars and the legacies that are in our myths. All right. Before we conclude, Jonathan, where can our listeners go to learn more about The Telling Project? Um, We're at thetellingproject.org. That's all one and all lowercase. And um, we have several shows upcoming around the country, so please check us out. If uh, if we're going to be in your area, we'd love to have you there. And Tom Barry, what about our listeners who want to see this play? Uh, You can uh, go to the Yale Cabaret's website. We'll be on there shortly or just Voices from the Long War or in WNPR's website. Um, And uh, if you type in Voices from the Long War on Facebook, you'll find our event page. And uh, we hope to see everyone there. All right. Thank you so much to Kevin Horrigan, directing student at the Yale School of Drama and director of Voices from the Long War. Jonathan Way, founder and executive director of The Telling Project and writer of Voices from the Long War. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Also in studio, Tom Barry, again, community producer of The Play. Thank you for joining us and telling us about this project. Thank you, Lucy. And lastly, Tom Burke, a former U.S. Marine, and Asadula, an Afghan refugee, both cast members of Voices from the Long War, again premiering April 28th at 8 p.m. at the Yale Cabaret. Thank you for coming in and telling us a little of your stories. Thank you so much. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown and Tucker Ives. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. WMPR's digital editor is Heather Brandon. The executive producer of Where We Live is Katie Talarski. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This is Where We Live. <laughs>